Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Clark Chilton, one of our associate pastors here at the church. We're in a sermon series called Advent Preparing for Christmas. Advent is that time of year where we know it's not quite yet Christmas, and that's okay. A time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of seeking God and drawing near to God as we take this journey together toward the manger on Christmas Eve. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's also a stressful time. It's a time uh, when we remember those in our past or we miss loved ones. It can be a, a time of difficulty as well, and we acknowledge that. We want you to know that we're praying for you. If you want to join us for a worship service any Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m., we would love to see you. To learn more, visit wesleymemorial.org. And now here's this week's message on Advent, preparing for Christmas. Well, the Christmas season is ripe for uh, fresh memes. Uh, I always like finding memes of things. Uh, here's a couple of images that I find, thought were great. Uh, this is uh, bell-shaped bells you can purchase. Uh, it looks like dollar store, probably, or five dollars. Wow, they're proud of those. This is a Christmas list for 2021. Dear Santa, here's what I would like. An Amazon URL uh, web link. Hey, if Santa, if anyone can turn that into a hyperlink, it's Santa Claus. So don't be discouraged, children. This, this rang true with me. Um, socks as gift. Think about it. Older I get, I like a good pair of socks at Christmas. When you're 10, you might as well just give me a pile of dirt. I could care less. Socks. Now, this is from last year, but still, I just thought it was funny. Joy of the world, we survived 2020. Toilet paper. You know, we, we hear a lot about joy uh, this time of year. You'll see it on ornaments. You'll see it on your mantle. You'll see it on shirts, mugs. Joy, joy, joy. Uh, it's all over the place. Um, you know, but how do, we, how do we experience joy here and now? I mean, how do we, how do we make life a joy? in a world that does not feel joyful often. How do we experience joy? I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. The church talks a lot about joy, but how do you experience joy? How do you know the joy of the Lord, as it says like in the Proverbs or Psalms? How do you, how do you experience joy in a broken and messed up world? I mean, Jesus was full of joy. He is full of joy. The disciples were so full of joy that uh, when they're getting beaten and whipped in the book of Acts, uh, they rejoiced at being associated with the Son of God. The Apostle Paul, when he writes the book of, of Philippians, Philippians often called the a joy epistle because he uses the word joy like dozens of times. He tells us to rejoice in all circumstances, even though he's writing that while being chained to a wall in a Roman prison. So how do you experience joy outside of circumstance or even in a broken and messed up world? You know, one time I went to a church uh, with a friend in Asheville when I was a younger guy, and he invited me to his church, and uh, the preacher that day preached on joy, and he preached on joy for an hour, an hour. I got joy in my hands. I got joy in my feet, and he was like all over the place. An hour he talked about joy, and I was listening to him. I was like, okay, either you are delusional or you're on to something. There's no middle ground here with the joy, the joy preacher. You, you, got, you, you figured something out, or you're crazy. And he wasn't crazy. Because here's what he knows that Christians know. 
is that we don't generate joy. Joy is Jesus. Having Jesus in your life is, is a joy. Because as Christians, the, the Spirit of God can reside within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the gospel, making us new creations. How in the world could that not result in joy? That if you have Jesus, you have joy outside of circumstance. That, that's the main way we can make life a joy. It's because it's not us that does it. It's Christ within us, the hope of glory, amen, that gives us joy. But sometimes it, it comes at a, at a price. We have to push through the wall of ourselves. We have to get outside of our own heads in order to experience that kind of joy. Like, have you ever been trying to help somebody and they need you to serve them in some way and, and you're thinking, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But it's like, you're thinking, oh, this is so inconvenient. You know, like, okay. There's like a thousand other places I'd rather be right now, a thousand other things I'd rather be doing, right? But you push through those feelings anyway. And when you would get to the other side of that, what do you feel? You feel a sense of joy, don't you? And it's not just self-satisfaction, like, oh, I'm so righteous. It's deeper than that. Like when you push through yourself and you push through your own head and you care for another human being like Jesus would and does, you encounter this thing called joy that you didn't generate, right? And you're so glad you did it, right? When you helped a neighbor, you did something for someone else and you saw them as a child of God. You let go of your life and in so doing, you found your life. You let go of your own desires for a moment and when you got out of the way, God could use you. And when God uses you and me, you're going to feel joy. Someone give me an amen on that one. You're going to feel joy. Because when God uses you, he's using you to be a blessing. He's using you to be a blessing. Our actions can help make life a joy. It's a joy to bless our neighbors, even people we don't know. Sometimes it's more of a blessing to treat, to bless people you don't know. Even Jesus said, what good is it if you love people that are just like you? You should actually love people that you probably don't like. And you experience a blessing and you experience joy when you do that because God's using you to change someone's life. Now, there's a lot of definitions for blessing. One definition I like to use is going above and beyond expectation because that's how God loves us. He gives us more than we expect. He goes above and beyond. He's always above what you thought he was going to do. That's the definition of a blessing. Your expectation was down here, and it arrived up here. When we treat people like that, when we love people like Jesus does, when we go above expectations, we can make life a joy, not just for other people and our neighbors, but also for us. It goes both ways. It's reciprocal. Now, when we're in our series overview here, um, I have this slightly cheesy metaphor I'm using of a bag uh, we're going on a journey every week, and we're, we have things we've taken with us along our way. It's sort of like, a, sort of like Mr. Rogers, right? Sort of like a little Mr. Rogers prop moment. Hopefully my branch hasn't completely fallen apart. Here's our righteous branch from... Oh, he's looking worse. Still smells good, though. Um, the, pro, the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be a righteous branch would be birthed out of the stump of Jesse, the lineage of Jesse, uh, the King David would come through that, and eventually Jesus would be born in that lineage. Out of that dead stump of the Old Testament covenant that was not working anymore, God would birth something new. So uh, the year 33 AD, there was like a few dozen Christians. Now today, this today, there's probably there's been billions 
of believers. So you see that righteous branch growing throughout history, changing lives all around the world, the Messiah. Our object last week was a mini stoplight. Whoa, almost falls apart. Really focusing on the yellow. There you go. Focusing on the yellow and the red. Sometimes waiting time is not wasting time when we wait on God. Uh, what, we're, what God does in us while we wait is more important than what we're waiting for. It's, it's about, it is sort of about the journey, not it's the destination. Sometimes God says no, and that doesn't mean he hates you. It means sometimes he just wants you to wait in line and don't get out of line. He has a promise for you waiting down the road. And that green light hits and we feel better. And then today, we spare no expense with this prop. I couldn't find any Joy soap, so um, I wrote Joy on a bottle of Dial. I don't want to go buy a bottle of soap. I mean, we have so much soap around here. So it's hard to, it's hard to have an object lesson for Joy, so this is the best we could do. So we're carrying Joy with us in our bag today as well, that we can make life a joy to those around us. And in Luke chapter 3, um, that John the Baptist gives a kind of a prescription for making life a joy in, jo- in Luke chapter 3, a passage that I've kind of overlooked over the years. Um, and you see, well, you'll see. Let's just read it. John 3, um, verse 7. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized, now John's not a politician, you brood of vipers. So he's, he's not really wanting them to be baptized in, in the way that they thought. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The people feel perplexed, anxious. So the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with, who, with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money and from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. And the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. For the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Prophets don't mess around. Any Advent preparation has to include John the Baptist. We always, it's always in the lectionary for this reason because he prepares the people. That's what prophets do. They always make us question our motives. They make us question how we live our lives and they will, it will benefit us if we will listen to their words, prophets. And the, who's the greatest prophet that ever lived? I'll give you a hint. It starts with G. It ends with us. Jesus. He's a prophet too. He's the prophet. So John says to the, to the he essentially says to these people, the, the people, the tax collectors, the soldiers, your life is not your own. 
your agendas for yourself are not as important as you think they are. And so before you come up here and let me baptize you, don't say one thing and then do something else. Because you can't fool God. You can't pull the wool over his eyes and play the religious game. And God's not going to let you get away with it. And that's what he's saying to them. Don't let me baptize you and you treat your neighbors like garbage. Because if you do that, you're basically, you're, you're, you're delusional. You're living in a fantasy world where you think that God's not going to notice. So if you say you're a believer, John is saying, then live like one. Treat people like you would expect to be treated yourself. For a few years ago, there was this huge trend in the United States with this woman named Marie Kondo. Have you ever heard of her? She's like the organization lady. And, you know, cleaning out your house, cleaning up your closet, getting rid of clutter, right? Simplifying your life. And we caught on to this craze for a little while. And you walk around your house and you pick things up and you ask yourself, does this spark joy? That was her sentence. Does this spark joy? And if the answer is no, you let it go. And you just get rid of all this stuff. And so thrift stores and Goodwill and landfills never had it so good. While we went through all of our stuff and asked ourselves, does this spark joy in my life? And so it's a good thing to do. But many people, though, have really false, I would say delusional ideas about what sparks joy in their lives. Power, politics, money, alcohol, sex, control, all of these things that people think sparks joy in their lives, but it doesn't even come close. It doesn't even, maybe, it doesn't even bring happiness sometimes. Only Jesus brings joy, lasting joy, in your life with him as Savior residing in your heart. I once had a conversation with a young man uh, that I was friends with um, when I was in my 20s, and he was sleeping around and doing all these stupid things and partying a lot. And I was like, okay, everything you're doing, is it bringing joy and peace to your soul? He said, no, but I'm having fun. <laughs> I said, okay, sin's fun for a little while or else you wouldn't do it. But is it bringing peace to your soul? Of course the answer is no, but people don't want to acknowledge that. And basically you're ask, I was asking him, what John's asking too, is what narrative is driving your life? What story are you subscribing to? What flag are you marching to? And what beat are you going? Because we're all following somebody. We're all be believing in something. Whether it's yourself or it's Jesus or whatever your worldview is, everyone's following something. So the question you must ask is, is it bringing peace to your soul? Is it bringing joy to your life? And if the answer is no, let it go. See, John gives us two prescriptions here today in this passage. One is to be under God's authority. And that's what he calls them out. And the other is to live a righteous life. If we do those things, you will, you will find joy. You will find it. So the first is, it is a joy to be under God's authority. So John calls them out and says, hey, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. God can create sons of Abraham from these stones. See, when we're under pressure in our lives, people run to their own perception of authority. Whatever that authority stru structure might be, we point to that to justify our lives. And that's what these people are doing in this passage. They're, they're saying, hey, 
my bloodline goes to Abraham, we're good. I don't need to get right with God. I'm already good just because simply of how I was born. And people do the same thing where they say, I, I don't really need to be forgiven by God. I just need to be a good person and I'll be fine. Or I have a lot of money and I'll be okay, right? This is sad stuff. So how does John respond to this? John says, that means nothing. You can't fool God. He doesn't let them off easy. God, he's, he's saying to them, God isn't pleased with your like second generation faith that you're not owning in your own life, but you're pointing to your lineage as somehow being enough. You need to own it today yourself. How you live now will determine, it will show really what you believe. Live a righteous life. Because you know what? There's joy in living a clean life. There's joy in living under God's authority. It's not, he's not there to ruin your fun and to take away all your, your, the, the perceived sense of happiness that you have. And if anything, he will expand upon joy. He will give you more than you even ask or imagine. There's joy in knowing that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, that, you're, that you have peace with God, that you live under God's authority. I mean, what these people are doing is they're passing the buck. They're saying, oh, well, we're, we're, we're okay because of our ancestors. You're, you're just pushing it over to him. There's a lot of things on earth that make me very sad. One of them is people that live their lives in a way that they are unprepared to die. That makes me very, very sad. That's a tragedy. And you know people like that too. They think they're going to live forever. Well, we are going to live forever. But not necessarily on our own terms. But on, how, on God's terms. So this, this sense of unbelief that millions of people have, it, may, it is very sad. That they have this, almost a delusion that, that I can live however I want and I'll be okay. Really, unbelief is one of the most amazing things in the world to me. I don't know how you don't believe in the evidence that God has given us in all of creation. If you have children, I don't know how you don't believe in God. I don't know how you're a parent without praying, for one. I don't know how you make it, so hats off to you. But unbelief blows my mind. Another thing that makes me very sad is people that perpetually never live up to their own decisions, that don't own their lives. People that always say it's someone else's fault. Come on. People that just say, I'm not responsible for what I do and how I treat other people around me. The blame's on someone else. But you know what? That's easy. It's easy to do that. You can do that. It's harder to own your life and own your decisions and go, yes, I will make it right myself. If you do that, you'll grow as a person and you'll experience more of the joy of the Lord. But people that say, I'm never at fault, you're basically, you're saying, it's really pride. You'll never know the joy of the Lord without coming before him with humility and bowing down and admitting dependence on God. So some of these people like this in this passage with John, that's what they're saying. They're saying to John and to God, we're, we're fine. We don't, we don't need a change of heart. Just let us get this over with so we can get on with our lives. And John's saying, no, no, no. Whatever you're pointing to, it's not enough. Whatever authority structure you think you're living under that makes you right with God, it's not, it's, not, it's not it. It's not it. 
Everyone marches to the beat of someone, and John is saying to them, live under God's authority and experience more of the joy of God when we do that. Secondly, it's a joy to be righteous. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. You know, like I said, it feels good to help other people. It feels good. We feel joy when we do that, to live more of a righteous life, our actions, exposing more of what we believe. And this passage, it's, he goes on when he says the ax is at the root. You see this um, foreshadowing when Jesus talks about um, the Father in heaven is like a, a gardener and a pruner, and he cuts away things that don't bear fruit and throws them into the fire. So you see the same echo of what Jesus would teach about God as well. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit. So the people hear this and they go, okay, whoa, gosh, that sounds bad. What, then what do we need to do, John? And John doesn't say, well, go buy this book or go to a class or pray this thing. He doesn't say any of that. He says, be righteous. Don't just say you believe these things, but do it. And when you do it, it will show what you believe. There's a really good word in the Christian church. It's the word orthodoxy. I think that's a great word. It's not a bad word. There's a lot, one, one definition of, a, of it is right belief, believing the right things about God. So when we, when we read the Apostles' Creed, for example, that's orthodox faith. That's, that's foundational stuff. You can't pull any of that stuff out. It's key to who God is and the story of salvation to, to the whole world. But another word is orthopraxy, right right practice or right action. The belief that right action is as important as right belief. John's answer to them is orthopraxy. He's saying, don't just believe in your head, but act on it. Do it. Prove it by the way that you live. So you could hear this though, and we think, whoa, 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 are we saved by just helping people? Or does that make us right with God? Not necessarily. No, we know that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It is a free gift for anyone that will believe in their heart and profess Christ as Lord, period. But our actions do make us holy or not. How we live, how we, ex- how we treat other people, we can experience joy through those things. Because Jesus does give this pretty stark picture in Matthew 25 of the end of time in this thing we call the great judgment, where he separates people into sheep and goats. And he separates them out. And he says this in Matthew 25, 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So God puts a very big price tag on how we act and what we do with what we have, how we show what we believe when we choose to push through our own heads and push past ourselves and let God use us, it is a joy, my friends, to do that. So don't be necessarily scared by those words. I don't think God wants us to be walking in fear, fear fear-based service. He wants a joy-based service for our lives. But like you and I, I hear that and I go, okay, well then how, again, how do I really do that? What does that look like? There is this uh, person in church history called Brother Lawrence. He was a monk. He was actually less than a monk in a French monastery in the 17th century. He, wrote, he didn't even write this book. Um, someone wrote, wrote it for him. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it was, people were so impressed by Lawrence 
and how he walked in this perpetual sense of God's presence. He was just a holy man, and people acknowledged that about him. So other people wrote down his words into this book. And, and Lawrence was like a dishwasher in a monastery, maybe a cook sometimes. And he would write about finding the joy of God while he was washing dishes. Does anybody ever feel that? So maybe that's where the soap comes, comes into play. But just that, that even in the small, innocuous things of life, you can experience the presence of God. That's what he would write about. And he had this sentence I read this week, and it was perfect for this. Where he said, our sanctification does not depend on changing what we do, but in doing for God's sake what we normally do for our own sake. So it's not this huge transformation necessarily, but simply living your life like you've always been living it, but you're not doing it for yourself anymore, but you're doing it for God's sake and God's glory. Do you see how that just transforms how you look at your whole life? How everything is not an accident and our decisions matter and, and that we have such power at our fingertips to be a blessing to the world? So John is saying this to his audience. He's saying to these things they're already doing. You tax collectors, you soldiers, you people. Just be righteous in what you're doing. This glorifies God. And it shows what you believe deep down. That's how we can make life a joy. When we leverage what we have for God's glory. And then Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. When we pursue righteousness, when we pursue holy living... He says, you will be filled. Not only that, but you will be blessed when you make that your pursuit. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, in closing, I know that a lot of people, and I know some of these people, are not having a good Christmas, not having a joy-filled Advent. And there is a season of life where there is a, there's almost a spiritual practice of lament. And, and drawing near to God with tears. And God is close to the brokenhearted. He is with us in our pain. And he is with you in your pain. And, and, and sometimes the church, we have to be careful because we can't just tie a theological bow around this and go, hey, you know what? Joy's coming around the corner. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like joy's coming around the corner. And that's, that's okay. The Christian faith is not meant to be this perpetual high. Right? That, that, that's why it's true. Because because it fits within the rhythms of life. It acknowledges the, the difficulties of the human condition and doesn't just gloss over those things. The Bible is a book of sadness too. There's lots of parts of the Bible that are built for those moments in life. But I want us to be encouraged because joy is knowing Christ. It is having Christ in your heart and in your life. He will give you joy. We can't manufacture it ourselves necessarily, but he will give it because it's Christ in us. I invite you to close your eyes and hear these words from Psalm 16. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we thank you that in your presence, there is joy. Jesus, that you are our joy. You are the reason that we can feel that. God, I pray that you help us love those around us this coming week that you blessed us to be a blessing. And I also pray for those who are mourning right now, who are grieving, who are hurting, who feel that they have more they can bear. And God, maybe the word is that, you know what, maybe you do have more than you can bear.
Maybe you do need to let go of that and give it more to God. That you were not meant to carry so much weight sometimes. Lord, you say that your burden is light if we give our burdens over to you. God, I pray that we maintain the course, that we keep our eyes focused on you, even when we don't feel joyful. We stay in line. We remember your goodness, your character, your, in, your perfect integrity, your patience with us. You'll never let us fall. Nothing will separate us from your love. Death, hell, the demons, none of it. You will never let us go, Jesus. We continue to give our lives to you day after day and trusting that in time, your joy will be made complete in us. Amen.